Being a Better Man, episode 158. All right, guys, welcome to Wednesday. Welcome to Storytime with Alf. Storytime is where I tell a true story from my strange and interesting life. The purpose of the story is not just to entertain you, but also to share with you the lesson or lessons I learned from that story. They might even cause you to reevaluate parts of your life and help you get lessons that you never knew were there. With that being said, just sit back, relax, and enjoy the story. By the time I was 30, I had done a lot of things. I had been in the Army. I had held a variety of other jobs, other kinds of jobs, and I'd been a construction contractor with my own business for a few years. I decided one day that I should become a truck driver as well. There was a lot of money to be made in the transportation industry after all. So I went to truck driving school and got my license. I got a job with a place that went to California and back from Washington State three times a week. After a couple months of that, I figured I had enough experience to get my own truck. My uncle was a long-time truck driver, and he just happened to have an old truck he was willing to sell me. It was a Freightliner cab over with no air conditioning, no power steering, and a radio that worked sometimes. Mechanically, it seemed sound, though. How it worked was you would lease yourself and your truck to a freight company. They would find loads for you to haul and agree to pay you so much per mile or a flat rate for the load. They would also provide insurance for the truck, but I was in charge of maintenance and I had to buy my own fuel. It wasn't a horrible deal and it wasn't a great deal, but it was a way to get started and you have to start somewhere. One reason I decided to do this is because I thought it would be a great opportunity to take my kids on road trips around the country and spend a lot of time with them one-on-one. Had I leased myself to a reputable company, it probably all would have worked out great. Unfortunately, it was 1991, and in the transportation industry at the time, there were a lot of shady characters. When I was out on the road, I depended on the company I was leased to to provide me access to money. This was before debit cards existed. There was a system called ComChecks. A company would have a ComCheck account with money in it, and they would wire your pay to any truck stop in America so that you could access it. They just had to give you a really long number over the phone And if it matched the number the truck stop had, then they would issue you your money. And most of the time, it worked. Summer came, and school was out. So I got my nine-year-old son, Clinton, and I told him we were going to have a big adventure. And I put him in the truck, and we took off, heading south. We were having a great time. We went down into Oregon and into California. I was dropping off loads and picking up new ones on the way, and Clinton thought it was awesome. And we talked about all kinds of things, from time travel to cartoons to music. I told him stories, 
and we sang songs together, and we even made up a couple new ones. Initially, the trip was going exactly how I had envisioned it. We came out of California and went into Utah. I was getting low on money, so I called the dispatch office and requested a comm check. I had quite a lot of money owed to me for the trips I had just made. My dispatcher's name was Chris. Kind of a smarmy young guy with a bad hairdo and a waistline of a much older man. I always thought he must have been related to the owner, and that's why he got the job. Chris told me some story about how the comm check system was temporarily down. He said to call him after I dropped my load and we would take care of it. I said okay because I didn't have much choice. I was delivering my load the following day. I still had a little money. It'd be okay. The next day I called Chris when I was empty again. I told him I needed money. He asked me how much fuel I had and did I have enough to get to this other town to pick up a new load. I told him I did have enough fuel, but what did that have to do with me getting some money? He said they were still having trouble with the comm check system and to give him a call back after I got loaded. I was starting to get really irritated, but I didn't have too many other options. So I went to another town and got loaded with some freight that was headed to southern Idaho. I called Chris after I got loaded and he still could not get me any money. I delivered the load to Idaho and while I was there I used the last of my cash to buy Clinton and I dinner, get a shower and top off my fuel because Chris had promised me for sure that when I got back into Utah with my next load that I would get paid. The next day we got loaded and started out again for a town in Utah. It was hot and since the truck didn't have air conditioning, we spent a lot of time with the windows down, always talking real loud above the noise of, of the highway. We were still having a great time together, though. I was trying to not let my irritation with my dispatcher affect my time with Clinton. He wasn't even aware there was a problem. After about nine hours of driving, I made it to the destination and got unloaded. Then we went and parked at a nearby truck stop. I was anxious to find a phone and get some money. Ever since I'd spent the last of my cash, I had had an uneasy feeling because Clinton was with me and he needed to eat. We both needed to eat. Our last meal had been the dinner the day before and we were both hungry and hot and tired. I got Chris on the phone and I could tell by his voice that something was wrong. He told me he still could not get me any money. I told him that he had promised and that I needed money right now and I had a nine-year-old boy with me and we needed to eat. I told him I've been watching other drivers get their comm checks without any problems. I demanded that he get me some money immediately. Finally, he confessed that they didn't have any money in their comm check account. He said someone had made a mistake, and it was just a matter of time before they got money back in the account. I told him I didn't have any time. I told him that since he had promised me, that he should wire me some of his own money, since I was sure he had money and food to eat. But he refused. 
Then he had the nerve to ask me to go pick up a load somewhere. I couldn't believe it. I was furious. I told him the truck was not moving again until I got paid, and I hung up the phone. I'm not a person that's quick to anger unless I'm extremely hot or extremely hungry, and right now, I was both. Not to mention the reality sinking in that Chris had been lying to me the whole time. There was no problem with the Comcheck system. There was only a problem with their own mismanagement of their business. Clinton was hungry, and he could see that I was unhappy. He asked me what was wrong. I tried to explain it to him in a way he could understand. I tried to make a game out of it, like we were adventurers who were stranded in the desert, and we had to survive on our wits for a couple days, and we had to be brave. That seemed to work. Clinton was an imaginative boy, and he caught on to that right away. But the next day, I called the dispatch office once every hour. And every time I was told they didn't have any money. They tried to give me this whole song about how they were waiting on another company to pay them, but I didn't believe anything they said at this point. As soon as I heard they had no money, I would hang up. I did that every hour. We spent that day in the driver's lounge, watching TV and playing games. Whenever somebody had food delivered in, Clinton and I would just look at each other. The next day, it was pretty bad. Neither of us had eaten for over 24 hours. I wasn't so worried about myself, but I was becoming very worried for Clinton. I continued to call every hour, and I continued to hang up the phone when I was told they didn't have any money. I was starting to get angry in a different, more dangerous kind of way. I still had $3.65. I had been saving it. I looked around on the floor of the truck and came up with 73 more cents, and that made $4.38. I decided the time had come to use it, so Clinton and I went into the truck stop. I looked at the menu and determined that it was enough to get us both a large bowl of the daily soup, which happened to be tomato. I figured if we did that and then asked for as many crackers as they would bring us, that it would get us through the day. When I ordered, the waitress looked confused. That's it? she asked. I confirmed that it was our entire order, and she looked at Clinton, then she looked back at me, and she asked where we were from, and a couple other questions. She was good at her job. Apparently, she had seen this situation before. Finally, through clever conversation on her part, she had the whole story. She knew what we were going through. When she came back with our soup, she didn't only bring lots of crackers, but two big giant sandwiches she had made herself, and a big smile. Clinton was normally kind of a picky eater, but not today. He tore into that sandwich like his life depended on it, and it, it kind of did. I thanked the waitress profusely for her kindness. Clinton told her that she saved our life. We were in much better spirits when we went to bed that night. The next day, I didn't start calling right away. I was kind of afraid to. I was afraid of how angry I would become when I was told there still wasn't money. 
Finally, around noon, I decided to call. I had Clinton wait at the table so he wouldn't hear my conversation. I got Chris on the phone. One more time, he told me they didn't have money, and I lost it. I was screaming at him, letting him know exactly how I felt about the whole situation. When I was done, in response, he said probably the worst thing he could have said to me in that moment. He said, hey, just go down to Bologna Joe's and wait in the line for a sandwich. And then he laughed at his own horrible joke. You see, Bologna Joe's was another name for a homeless shelter. I didn't say anything for a few seconds. He finished laughing and was waiting for my response. And in a very low, slow, quiet voice, I said, Chris, when I get back there, you should know that the first thing I'm going to do is find you. And then I'm going to beat the hell out of you. And I'm going to keep going until somebody else makes me stop. And then I hung up. The next day I found myself dealing with another dispatcher. He said Chris was at an appointment, but that he would help me. Miraculously, they finally had money in their account, and I got paid the money that I was due. I told this new dispatcher that I wouldn't accept any load except one that took me back home. He agreed, and pretty soon we were both heading north with full bellies, a pocket full of money, and a big score to settle. I arrived at the yard in Portland, Oregon. I set my parking brake with a loud release of air and a cloud of dust that marked my arrival. I'm not normally a violent man, but I was really looking forward to making Chris regret his baloney Joe comment. I had been fantasizing about it for a few hundred miles. Had I been alone on this trip, it wouldn't, I wouldn't have taken it so personally. But he was messing with the welfare of my son and making jokes about it, and that crossed a line with me. I marched into the office and went straight to Chris's desk. I was met by an empty chair. I asked loudly where Chris was because I needed to talk with him. One of the receptionists meekly came over and informed me that Chris knew I was coming back, and he'd been a nervous wreck, and about 30 minutes earlier, he had quit his job and walked out. Well, crap, I thought. That was disappointing. But it was probably for the best, especially for Chris. I hope he learned something from the experience. Then I went to the owner's office and informed him I was tearing up my lease. I was no longer affiliated with them, and I would find other means of employ. And that is basically the end of the story. We went home. I found other outfits to work for. And to this day, I have some precious memories of my son and I on our big trucking adventure. I learned a lot about myself in this story and a lot about the world as well. I remembered how precious one-on-one -on -one time with a child can be. I found out what some of my boundaries were, and I also had to take responsibility for putting my son in that situation in the first place. To go without food for three days is unacceptable. I considered that my fault. 
I trusted the welfare of my child to people I didn't know well enough. Okay, lesson learned. That never happened again. We can't blame other people for the things that happened to our children. It's our job, no one else's, to make sure that their safety cannot be jeopardized. These were all tough lessons to learn, but ultimately, they were the the lessons I was supposed to learn, and they helped me be a better man. And wherever and whoever you are listening, I urge you to pay attention to whatever's happening in your life right now. Your story is unfolding right before your eyes. And we all have a choice to learn the lessons life gives us or to repeat them over and over until we do. When you do learn them, you become a better man today than you were yesterday. Until next time, this is Alf Herigstad signing out.